Good morning, church. Welcome to all of you who are here and all of you who are watching uh, online. Hopefully everybody got a bulletin when they walked in so that you can have a good idea of the activities of the church uh, this week. The standard activities are, are going on. We're uh, in full swing with uh, kids' activities uh, in the evening or uh, youth meet this evening. And then Tuesday is ladies' Bible study and Wednesday is Awana. So it's a, it's a good filled week. This week, uh, of course, we'll be, as you can see, we'll be celebrating communion. And then next week is our, our fellowship luncheon. One thing I want to highlight to uh, to everyone here that uh, there are opportunities to uh, uh, support the ministry financially with the box in the back. You can uh, drop your offering in the box, or for, if you're not able to attend or not, or want to uh, um, <coughs> excuse me uh, d donate to the ministry online, you can you can do that also. Okay. Uh, if you want to turn with me to John chapter 21. I'm going to re be reading four verses uh, from that. Then we'll, then we'll pray together. Then we'll sing together. All right. So uh, John chapter 21, verse 21 says, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. All right, if you'll bow your heads with me, we'll pray together, then we'll sing together. Father, we uh, start our day, start our worship time, Lord, together asking for your blessing upon our, our service today. We pray, Lord, for those folks who were not with us today, who weren't able to attend, are not able to come for any number of reasons, either by traveling or, by, or due to illness. Father, we, we do pray for those folks that uh, you, you would bring them back to us so that they could fellowship together with us and worship together with us. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon this, uh, this service, and I pray that each of, the, uh, each of those here in the, and hearing this message today, Lord, we'll, uh, we'll consider your word and, Lord, that your spirit would guide us in the things that we do and the things that we say. We ask for your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, church, for a time of worship?
Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. yourself away Oh, the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of
be seated. Well, good morning. You are doing well today. I remember that today is Communion Sunday, so if only if you're in the Adventurers class, which is our youngest group of Children's Church. Do we have Children's Church today? So you can go. Who's in the Adventurers class? Do we have anybody in the Adventurers class? Really? Are you sure? Oh. Oh, wow. Well, if we go by who's younger than me in the room, everybody goes to Children's Church, right? No. Uh, not really. All right, children, so if you're in the adventurer's class, you can go on to Children's Church. Otherwise, big kids, you're with us today. Uh, we do that for a couple of reasons, and that is that you are getting to be big kids, and uh, we want you to join with us in communion later. Also gives the Children's Church folks a, a time to be in big church and have communion with us as well, and so we do that on purpose. It's not to make you suffer, as much as Isaac accuses me of that sometimes, make him suffer. Um, but before we begin this morning, we're going to pray. We've got some needs in our body that um, we really do need to be in prayer for. Uh, this last week, Don Ferguson fell and uh, really injured his arm pretty badly. So if y'all would keep him in prayer uh, as well. Uh, he's awaiting surgery for that. So uh, that as well as uh, some other uh, cancers and things like that that are going on in our body. So we're going to pray for that. I hope that you'll join with me as we do that. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for your grace to us, uh, for the, the love that you have shown each one of us here today. And we thank you for the gifts that you've given us to serve together with. And right now, we, we specifically pray for Don uh, Ferguson and Karen and their family uh, as he's uh, awaiting treatment for this uh, break that he's had this last week. Father, I just pray for wisdom uh, and quick healing, uh, Father, but good healing uh, in his case especially. And Father, we, we do remember the other things uh, that are going on uh, that we, we do not allow world events and things like that to cloud what you have provided for us in this body, specifically those illnesses that uh, are a, a recurring part of, of our experience here. Father, we pray for those who have cancer. We pray for those who are healing from other conditions specifically. Uh, Father, we pray your, your mercy and your protection uh, on them. Pray for your favor in the lives of those who are treating them. But Father, we pray now uh, that you would bless our time in your word and that you would uh, prepare our hearts here to listen and to have it work in our lives as we talked about this last week. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I hope you've uh, clicked or turned in your Bible or I, actually I'm, a, I'm old school. I hope you turned in your Bible. But if you clicked on something, then you can click on it. That's okay. This is a judgment-free zone. Uh, just remember, they don't let you have your phone in prison. So one day we may all have to have our Bibles there uh, as we continue on in this world of uh, being faithful in our walk. Uh, but here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, these are just a few verses here, and often they get kind of glossed over, I think. Uh, but we've been talking about a number of categories in, in this book. And you understand that not everything in Scripture is for you to emulate. Not everything is a pattern. There's a good portion of Scripture uh, that is a warning don't do this, like the whole book of 1 Corinthians, roughly, um, is a warning. Don't behave this way. Don't do these things. But Thessalonians is not like that. Thessalonians is maybe the earliest, probably, I, I would say the second earliest epistle in the New Testament, kind of tied with Galatians, but um, I won't fight about that. Um, but there's a number of virtues here. There's, these are things that Paul gives thanks for all the time that they do, even when he's distant from them. He's writing this from Corinth, and that may have, well, let's just say it may have something to do with how much he gives thanks for the Thessalonians. 
He's writing it from Corinth. He's given them a whole list of virtues, a whole list of ministries of things that he said, you guys, we didn't spend that much time with you, but you followed our example. And in following our example, you followed the example of Jesus Christ. And beyond that, following that example, you did it so well that you became a pattern for other people to follow. So basically, I would say this is giving thanks for their pattern integrity, if you will. Their ability for the pattern, for the, for the, the mimic, the imitator, to become the pattern. And we've talked about how unusual that is. Um, if you're out building your kid's playhouse and you're cutting two-by-fours, don't do that. Don't uh, keep using your imitation as the pattern. If you do, you're going to end up with shorter or longer two-by-fours every time you cut. Right, guys? You've done that maybe? Am I the only one in this room that's ever made that mistake? I was probably in junior high when I did it, but I did do it. So we need to be impressed that these imitators became the pattern. So there were things that he did. They set the tone for the rest of the book, things like working obediently so that they, they understood what Christ had for them to do, and they did that faithfully. They labored lovingly, which means that they did that intentionally, sacrificially for people that were in their local body. Uh, they were optimistic about what God is doing and what Christ is doing in the local church. Uh, that's one that gets hard when you have a, a climate, a pandemic climate around you, right? optimism kind of lacking in the world sometimes about what God is doing how necessary the local church is we haven't struggled with that a lot at El Paso Bible Church but well because we're rebels but that's okay we're optimistic about what Christ is doing in the local church we don't flatter people we're, we're supposed to speak truth to them even if it's hard and we're supposed to receive it as well. We're not supposed to require flattering speech of other people, I'd say. We're not greedy. We have no narcissism. We're not seeking glory from men or from institutions. We're just looking at Jesus. And Paul listed all those things. This is, this is the pattern that individuals and churches are supposed to follow. We should always be able to give thanks for those, for churches that do that, the people that do it. But they became the pattern of those things. So when... when Churches would ask Paul, Paul, what should we do? He said, go look over there at Thessalonica. They received the word in much persecution. They received the word in difficulty. And yet they have achieved this level of pattern integrity following Jesus Christ. So one thing we also ought to keep in mind, which is a temptation, is that we're not, once we have a pattern with a high level of integrity, we don't need to keep improving it, Right? Right? That's a good way to make a machine not work, is to improve the pattern for the parts. Don't do that. Might as well just throw a wrench in it. So we need to make sure that we're following the pattern faithfully. You don't need to keep trying to improve it, and that's a, a temptation that we have in, in our era and probably a couple generations before. I don't want to say that we're the only ones that made that mistake. But we keep trying to improve the pattern, and there's no need to improve it need to follow it, that that's the ideal, and that if we replicate that pattern, then it's faithfulness to Jesus Christ. So let's read. That's, that's kind of our review here, but we're going to get down into the verses here. I hope by now you found First Thessalonians. Did you find it? All the T books are together in the New Testament. If you find one, just, you know, looking back and forth. 
says this, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in face, not in heart, that's more literally what, what it says there, they weren't allowed to see each other face to face, not in heart, cardia, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Remember that Paul wrote these letters, both First and Second Thessalonians, he wrote while he was in Corinth. Corinth was an exciting place to plant a church, you know, not too many church planting books will tell you. Just find the local synagogue and plant the church next door. That's what they did in Corinth, that was probably exciting at the end of the day. He wrote both of those letters from Corinth at that time, but after he had been driven out of Thessalonica. You remember it was fairly dramatic, it was flamboyant actually. They, he went to teach in the synagogue and then some evil guys went and paid other evil guys from the market and they went and started a riot and they dragged Paul and Silas and Timothy before the local authorities and they had, the church had to bond them out essentially. They had to pay security from Jason, it says other members of the church, so that they would be freed. But they were ejected from the city on that basis because of what they taught about Jesus Christ in the synagogue. And people were willing to pay mercenary rioters in order to get them out of the city. So when he compliments them, when he praises them, we should take that seriously. Because he had to, money had to be laid down on the line to allow him the freedom just to leave Thessalonica. Paul, you know, he's a, he's a glutton for punishment, isn't he? If you had had that happen, would that be where you wanted to go minister just the very next day? Anybody volunteer? Sometimes we have a hard time getting people to volunteer to bring donuts. <laughs> it's awfully hard to get people to volunteer to go back and get dragged before a court and preach in a synagogue when you've been ejected from the city formally. And we're going to, I mean, on the order of what we think, it's kind of a protective order, right? You've got to stay a thousand feet from the city limits or whatever. Something on those lines. They put down a security to do that. It's a glutton for punishment. They wanted to go back and said, in fact, he said, Paul wanted to go back several times. He didn't take no for an answer. No facts are important. He says, we wanted to see you. Our heart was not separated from you, but we wanted to see your face. Faces are important, aren't they? Yeah? Faces are important at all stages of life. Recently, I was reading a, a story. Not a story. Should I call it? It was a news story. Is there such a thing? Has journalism left? Uh, this is an article. This was an article about the deleterious effects of masks on infants. Not that the babies were wearing masks, but that everybody around them was wearing a mask and the babies were speech delayed and emotional. They were, they were delayed in their development simply because they had not seen this below, this portion of everybody's face. Right? Now, sometimes it's necessary. There are environments where it's necessary, choices that make it necessary. But faces are important. Can we all agree with that? It's important. That's why you have a photo ID for everything, you know, except to vote some places. Texas, we don't have that problem. Sorry, I work elections sometimes. I'm an election judge. I'm the only one that actually makes people show me their face, I think, sometimes. 
Faces are important. And Paul wanted to see their faces. He says, not a heart issue. We're not separated from you in spirit or in heart, however you want to interpret that. But we need to be in front of you and talk to you and have face-to-face ministry. It's important. And it's important that we maintain pattern integrity, which is important so that all the churches that go out from this place and are planted from the ministry of this church are able to follow the pattern properly. Face-to-face ministry is important for that. Remember that uh, Paul was ministering in a highly technologically developed environment for his day. Really. I mean, they didn't have Zoom meetings, right? But in his day, in the history and the progression of civilizations and kingdoms and empires, Rome was the pinnacle of it, actually. They had learned how to learn from other people. They didn't just kill everybody like previous uh, empires often did. They took and they borrowed and they consumed other empires and took, you know, we would say chew the meat, spit the bones. That's what they did. They took the things that worked and left the things that didn't work. Paul had technology available to him that was not available to anywhere else. He could get places quickly. He could send communication in a secure manner, even from prison, we see in Acts. He could communicate very clearly in a language that was very clear to use, Koine Greek, that had been developed as a marketing market language, common language. All sorts of advantages that he had. Lots of security, generally speaking talked about that in Ephesians a little bit. He used technology, but he didn't consider it a substitute. He couldn't just send a letter as a substitute for face-to-face ministry. Didn't do that. In his letter, he says, I wish that I could do better. I wish that I could be before you. I wish that I could have face-to-face ministry with you. He didn't lean on that. His, his heart, maybe, could be communicated in writing. But being alienated from the faces of the Thessalonians was a problem. It was something to be struggled against. That's why he tried several times. He was persistent in that, to be with them again. They wanted to minister to them face to face. So what was the problem with that? Well, it says it right here. Not all the time does Paul tell us what the problem is. He describes it, you know, like when he talks about his thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is. He doesn't tell us who it is, which is my, I think there's a who involved there, not just a what. But here he tells us, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. Now, I used to have a friend that had a bull mastiff named Satan. I don't think that Paul is talking about a puppy dog. He was not a nice puppy dog. He's talking about the personal, fallen, angelic being, Satan. Satan hindered us. Satan was the problem. My translation says hindered. I think that's a little bit soft. A little bit soft. Because the idea is uh, cut off, obstructed. Physically disabled somebody from, from progressing. Completely obstruct, to completely disable something, to stand entirely and totally in the way. Not if you were a slightly better wrestler, you could wrestle through it or push through it. That's the idea. Not just to make it less efficient or more difficult. To stonewall somebody. 
the, the image might even be something like what they do to pickpockets in Saudi Arabia, right? We're going to make sure you don't pickpocket anymore because we're going to take your hands. We're going to disable you. So hinder is a little bit soft, I think, for that. Satan obstructed us. He disabled us, stonewalled us. So we know the who, but, but how? What does that look like when somebody does that? See, I grew up in church. I was at church a lot. Priscilla grew up in church. We, had, we, were, good, we were good Christians. We had picture Bibles when we were little. We had Bibles in our hands. Actually, my mom taught me to read in the King James Version. But we also had a picture Bible. And in the picture Bible, the, the, I remember clear, plain as day, there was a, a depiction of Satan at the temptation of Christ. And it was cool. That's why I remember. He was a snake looking guy with a long scaly tail and pointy ears and a forked tongue and a pitchfork. Took me a while to be disabused of that notion of who Satan is. If you are expecting Satan to hinder you with his pitchfork, that's foolish. That is not how Satan hinders you. But Satan does hinder the ministry of Christ in the church. He does hinder the ministry that believers have in the local church. But he doesn't bring his pitchfork in into Sunday school and drive you back out. That's not how it works. And I don't think we often have a, a good perspective on who Satan is and how he works. He's not mentioned a lot of times by name in Scripture. But we, if we do a quick survey, and we'll do that here in a second, we see that, that Satan works in the lives of humans. He works in the lives of humans, and he works in the lives of human, human institutions. Everybody went, Ooh. He uses humanity to do that. We can see that going in the New Testament, right? Satan enters Judas, enters him. His body possessed him, took possession of his humanity in order to accomplish his will. Satan filled the heart of Ananias in Acts. You know how that went? Dead. So he lied to the Holy Spirit. Paul decides to deliver... <laughs> I'm glad there were apostles to do this. I'm glad Jesus didn't command me to do this. But 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I've decided to deliver such a one over to Satan for the judgment of his flesh. 1 Corinthians also, Satan, Paul says that Satan will tempt you if you're deprived by your spouse and your physical relationship. Works in the lives of spouses. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Satan takes advantage of those who do not forgive each other. He says that gives Satan an opportunity in the local body if you don't forgive people. Works in the lives of humans. John says in Revelation that the very throne of Satan was in Pergamum. That's where he dwells, in Pergamum, he says. Paul calls him the God of this age. John says that, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. He works in humans, in human institutions, to hinder the work that Christ would have us to do. 
And we're not going to live our lives according to the pattern that Paul has set out in 1 Thessalonians and not experience that obstruction. We're not going to be able to live our lives faithful to the pattern in a way that is unhindered by Satan's activity. Not under those circumstances. He works through humans and human institutions, and he doesn't look like a slimy snake with a pitchfork. And I've seen some politicians that weren't far off. But nobody's ever brought a pitchfork. In fact, I picked my pitchfork up yesterday. I have a pitchfork. Thing just broke. Not not a great pitchfork, I guess. That's not what we're looking out for. But like we talked about in Ephesians, right? Paul told the Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why did he have to say that? I mentioned it at the time. Why did he have to tell Ephesians... Your struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. The reason he had to say that was because you could make the mistake. Because our struggle is against humans that are being used by other than flesh and blood. Because that's how Satan works. That's how Satan obstructs. He works, as it said in Ephesians, principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. Paul had to clarify, you're going to see humans in this. You need to understand that it is not flesh and blood that you're struggling against. Now what was that in Paul's life? How was Satan providing an an obstruction in Paul's life? If you go back over to this record in Acts, I already mentioned it. They They basically had what we would call a protection order, <laughs> protective order. They were ejected from the city, don't come into the city. You're not allowed to. The church has given a pledge that says that that's their bond and you're not going to come into the city and do what you did before. We're not going to have that happen. Was that a legitimate exercise of the law? Can you just go hire people to cause a riot? Apparently. Happens a lot, apparently. It's not a legitimate exercise of the law, but it was, a, it was an actual obstruction for him. How did Satan hinder them, obstruct them? Government. Essentially an executive order by the city official that demanded a pledge to keep him out. Am I missing something? I don't think so. There was no pitchfork in there, right? Did did I miss the pitchfork? It was the city officials that kept him from having face-to-face ministry. That was how Satan obstructed them, how he worked in the lives of humans and human institutions to keep Paul out of Thessalonica. That was how it worked. And you can go back uh, at least to Daniel and see that angelic princes are given control over cities. At least back that far. I think there's indication earlier of that. All the way through the Old Testament, New Testament, into the eschaton particularly, you see that. And I don't know all the ways that Satan does that. Don't come to my office and say, Pastor, is this Satan hindering me? I, 
I know what Paul says. I know that Paul said that Satan was hindering him and Silas. Evidently, he was not hindering Timothy because they eventually sent Timothy into that city. But Paul and Silas were by name prevented from entering Thessalonica. That's what I know. I know that Satan works this way. But do not ask me if Satan is hindering you by sending your puppy to run off down the road. I don't know. I don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell me that. Your puppy may just not like you. It may be dumb. I've had both happen. So don't go around saying this is Satan obstructing me or Satan hindering me. What we're going to say is that we need to be able to recognize that this is one possibility that Satan obstructs face-to-face ministry to disrupt the pattern integrity that a church is trying to continue. And he uses humans and human institutions to do that. This is Satan preventing Paul from preaching and teaching face-to-face in the church. I will go so far to say this, and that is that when a government or a government institution or another human being makes this kind of declaration, I do consider that Satan's obstruction. Should I say that again, or did y'all get it? When a government institution, government official, another human being tries to prevent face-to-face ministry and teaching of God's word in the local church, that is Satan's hindrance and obstruction. That you can come talk to me about in my office if you want, because I'm pretty sure I'll know. That's Satan doing that, because that is a disruption of the pattern integrity that is necessary for the church to grow in this world and to propagate and to accomplish its ministry, period. How many governments in the world did that? How many, Jeremiah? Let me know. Did you count them up? I didn't count them up. I, thought, I tried to count the ones that didn't. I was like, did Tobago do it? I don't know. They still have a king, I think. They have a king in Tobago? I think they still have a king in Tobago. I like Tobago. Most of them did that. Does that leave you with any doubt about how widespread Satan's influence is in the human institutions in the world? Things begin to make a little more sense when we understand how he works in the world. When we're not looking around the corner for a pitchfork in the, you know, in the convex mirror at Walmart. We need to be looking at those things, the powers and the principalities of the darkness of this age. More than just being an opportunity for Satan, it was like a job fair for Satan, wasn't it? How many pastors, elders, deacons, and church leaders just rolled right over in the world with Satan obstructing the ministry of the local church? Countless. Countless numbers. I'm not sure that it was intentional in all cases. I think that if you said... If Satan came and actually held a job fair and said, hey, I need you guys to do this, most of those pastors are good-hearted men that would objectively say, no, I'm not going to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you for the offer, but I'm going to decline the opportunity. That's what we say in the business world, right? We're going to reject a job. No. He preyed on their understanding of Scripture. Romans 13, highly misunderstood verse. 
and chapter in Scripture about your obligation to the governments of this world. There is no legitimate government that demands that you do what these governments have demanded that we do as pastors. None. And so many churches ended up serving his purposes, whether intentionally or not, through their insecurities or their weakness. I will tell you this, there are young men here today, young men, old men if you need to hear this too, you cannot grow a spine overnight. I've said this before, it's a good reminder, you have to grow a spine every day. You need to be cautious about the natures of the authorities that you are following in your life, and you cannot grow a spine in the moment. You will have to grow a spine every day. Because then you have weakness and insecurity that is able to be utilized by authorities that you do not intend to submit to. We have a clear responsibility to recognize Satan's obstruction. And as James 4, 7 tells us, we have the responsibility to submit to God and resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. You cannot submit to God and, or you cannot not submit to God and not resist the devil. You have to do both. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And people bent over because they were worried about getting a ticket. They didn't even give resistance a chance. I literally have wept in my office over that. It wasn't affecting us. It wasn't causing a problem for us. But when the church, the body, worldwide hurts because of weakness like that, we all suffer. So you might be asking me, Pastor Josh, even Europe is opening up. Why are you so upset about this still? Well, Europeans, well. Because I'm disturbed by the precedent. <laughs> Not disturbed, angry. Now remember, if you never get angry, you'll never be like Jesus, Right? If you never get angry, you'll never be like Jesus. I've told you. I forget what sermon series that was, but people come to me and say, you remember when you said that? Yeah, I still believe that. If you never get angry, you'll never be like Jesus. You can't read Scripture and deny that. You need to make sure that you're getting angry about the right things. But if you never get angry, you'll never be like Jesus. And this made me angry because I know how the world works. Satan is not creative. He has a high being, but he's got real, really boring since, the, since he fell. <laughs> he just does the same things over and over. He brings the Bible to you and he misquotes it slightly or, or asks you to misapply it. He says you have to obey the government, even if the government says that you can't follow the pattern of the Thessalonians. Okay. And he just does that. It's like those spam callers you get that ask you about your car warranty. He's just throwing spaghetti out there to see what will stick, right, on the wall. He's just trying to see, they're just trying to see if they can get one gullible person to listen to them. Right? They can reap a lot of destruction in people's lives. The precedent that was set is my concern. 
I don't care if you think that a virus was manufactured or just arose out of China. There will be another one. There will be another one. Jesus, I think, called that. He used different, he said there will be wars and rumors of wars. There, this is the way the world cycles. The, the church is supposed to be different than that. And so, yes, the government has decided that they can no longer can get away with that precedent in many areas, even in Scandinavia, of all places. We still have to listen to Fauci, but Scandinavia pulled all their restrictions. He's going to keep doing the same things over and over until Jesus puts a stop to it. And he will. Until he comes, we need to be ready to resist and demand that he flee. Like I said, if it's not another Chinese virus, it'll be some other thing. I know that because it's actually already happened, by the way. We just forgot all the other times it's happened. In fact, I think it was one of my sons that told me they actually think that even, was it the Black Death that actually originated in China? <laughs> Is that you, Micah, that told me that? Yeah. Micah knows lots of things. I think all the viruses come out of China. <laughs> all the big ones, apparently, manufactured or not. But we have to be ready until Jesus puts a stop to this to resist because our face-to-face -face ministry has dramatic, eternal, and significant ramifications for our own lives and the lives of those who we will spend eternity with. That's the, the last couple of verses here. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Those are all, those are, that's reward language, guys. That's Bema seat language. That's like when Paul says that we must all appear before Jesus Christ. And he's going to discern or judge our deeds, whether good or bad. And Paul says the determining factor in my experience when I stand before Jesus in his presence and his coming is you. How we minister to you and how you minister back. It's a massive determining factor when I stand before Jesus. When we're up close and personal, I like the way he says it. Actually, it's in, in the presence of Lord Jesus' presence. Totally magnified, like intensified. When you're up close and personal, when Jesus is looking you in the eye, what is he going to say? On what basis are we going to be rewarded When we're in Jesus' presence. What is he going to celebrate about us? Because that's what this is. When he points to us and says, look how this servant served. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant. A number of years ago, the, when the, the twins were little, I would often have them come with me. They were not even knee high to me, which is not that hard for a little kid. They were little, and they would come and help me with projects. And I guess that my wife and I said something repeatedly 
we would, I guess we said good job to them and we would pat them on the head because one day Michael was helping me and Gideon was helping me with something. I don't remember even what it was a long time ago. Y'all are old. That's, we're young parents. That means we have old kids. Um, and he was helping me with something and I guess I forgot. So he grabbed my hand, put it on his head and patted himself on the head. Say good job, Daddy. And so I did. Because he was seeking to be celebrated. Because there was a precedent for him to be celebrated. When we stand before Jesus, I think I'm not alone in this. That I would like to have served well. And I would like for him to celebrate. And the reason that he will celebrate us at the judgment seat of Christ will be on the basis of how we maintain the pattern in the local church with each other, working obediently, laboring lovingly, being optimistic, getting rid of all that flattering speech, no narcissism, no greed. We follow his example in the church, how we did not how we did not permit Satan to have his way in the church to be an obstruction, we resisted. And how we re replicated what he wanted us to replicate over and over and over in the lives of those he's brought here. And when we stand before him at his coming, when we're looking eyeball to eyeball is the picture I get. When we're in his presence at his presence. That's what he's going to celebrate. So the world may think I'm a whack job for all the stuff I just said. Y'all know my answer, right? I say it a lot. Do y'all remember? What? Jenny knows what my answer is. She's not going to say it. I don't care. Because I don't care what they think. I care about what Jesus thinks. And I hope that you're with me on this. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you we thank you for the grace you've given to us, for the life that we live, and the instructions you've given to us to live it, that it's not a surprise what it is that, that we do in this life that is pleasing to you. We thank you for it. We thank you for the grace of the life that we have to live it for you. And we thank you for these instructions and the clear pattern. We thank you for the opportunity we have to stand before you in your coming, your son's coming. We love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this is a Sunday of, of each month that we remember the basis upon which all of that has meaning. And that is the life that we have in Christ, simply by grace through faith alone. And we're remembering that. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that as we remember the death that Christ died, we proclaim him. We proclaim his death until he comes. So if you know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, you know who you are, uh, this is his table, and I invite you to join with us. I'll give you a moment or two to pray or to spend time before the Lord, and then I'll ask the men to come forward.
Men, if you would come forward. sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this prayer Drink and remember 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand, church? We'll dismiss and so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body Sunday.